The CEO Roundtable brings together operations professionals at the top of their game to define and explore what it means to be highly effective in a scale-up organization. And what sits at the heart of it is highly curated peer-to-peer roundtables where CEOs talk about things that matter. I absolutely love my roundtable. We've been together for about two years, and without exaggeration, I have made friends for life. To find out more, go to coroundtable.com. That's coroundtable.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another wonderful episode of The Operations Room, a podcast for COOs. I am Brandon Mensinga, joined, as always, by my lovely co-host, Bethany Ayers. How are things going, Bethany? Things are going well today. I don't really have anything much to share. I was trying, I was hoping for a fun anecdote, but I don't have one. How about you, Brandon? Anything exciting that's happened in your week? Well, frankly, yes. Something very uh, exciting, I would say, which is my LinkedIn profile has a terrible photo, or I did have a terrible photo. Very uh, kind of uh, murky. You can barely see me. It's a couple years old. It's not not very professional either. So I was thinking to myself, well, I should probably upgrade my photo and actually do a photo shoot to, to get a new photo. And what I realized is, A, that's very expensive. And B, there is a thing called photomodelai.com. So I went to photomodelai.com and I got back a bunch of photos, uh, AI generated. And the photos, I can frankly say, are absolutely ridiculous in terms of the poses that I'm put in, the, the fashion that I'm wearing, and the, the smoldering looks that I continue to have photo on photo, <laughs> I would say. So lots of smoldering going on. So we've got a, a very substantive topic for today, uh, which is making OKRs work. And a very special guest in Jenny Harold, who will be joining us in a few minutes. And she's a phenomenal expert in, in OKRs. But before we get to that, Every time I talk to CEOs and COOs and other leadership uh, folks, everyone seems to have this pervading sense of disappointment around OKRs, that OKRs really aren't delivering what they need to deliver, and they're not really quite sure why, and they feel like they're running a process for the sake of running a process. And I'm curious what you think, because I, this is my you know, kind of qualitative interpretation of what I hear from folks over time, but I'm curious what, uh, what your experience has been. Exactly the same. Um, when we were first starting this podcast and Brandon, you had the list of all of the potential topics and one of them was making OKRs work. My immediate comment was, is this possible? Because in my experience over 20 years of OKRs and pre-OKRs and objectives and smart objectives and God, what else was there? Can you remember pre-OKRs? There just seemed to be tons of it. I have never seen one work unite and align a workforce and be properly carried through throughout the full 12 months. And so when I come and as I'm starting to think that OKRs are the new emperor's clothes. And so I ask everybody, do you have OKRs? I go, yep, have OKRs. And I'm like, oh, right. And are they working? Yep, they're working. I'm like, ah. So if I ask somebody on your team what your OKRs were, they'd be able to tell you, "Mm, yeah, maybe not. Okay, so if I looked at your metrics, it would be really clear how you calculate whether or not you've achieved that for all of your metrics. Mm, Yeah, maybe not. Okay, so that's successful, is it? (laughs) I'm going to be really interested to see what Jenny has to say. As you can tell, I'm probably going to be coming at it with a massive skeptical hat on. I'm trying not to be too rude when Jenny's talking, but I'm genuinely interested to hear about 
companies that have cracked it, how they've cracked it. And also one of the questions for me is spirit of the law versus letter of the law. If you read all of the OKR books, it's quite militant in the way that you should be rolling them out. And yet the more strict and militant I see those rollouts, the more failure I see. Yeah. It's a bit like the agile stuff back in the day. The more you're a practitioner of the process, the worse it becomes. When I think back to, to your point a little bit, when I think back over the past decade of OKRs for myself, I've seen a lot of OKRs not go well for all sorts of different reasons. And then I was thinking about this before the podcast in terms of had any uh, revelations that have been useful, I guess. And I, I did have a couple thoughts here that I wanted to, to bounce off you. And one was OKRs are very good at the question of what, which is what is the objective? What are the results that we're, we're going to focus on? They're kind of okay at the how. Usually when you have OKRs, you talk about initiatives and what are the initiatives that we want to focus on for this particular quarter, as an example. What they're not good at and what they're not designed for is really this question of why. And when you think about it, that why question is the single difference between a process and something that transcends a process and really becomes something that truly is uh, imbued in people's feelings towards what's going on, whereby they actually care. They care about the opportunity, they care about the challenge, they care about the team, and they care about the outcome. And I think that transcending the process into something more meaningful by truly understanding that why question to me is is one of the revelations that I've had where it's been a much more meaningful uh, OKR process that we've had. And when I say why, this is really getting back to basics, which is, does the company really understand the strategic context of the business? Uh, Does the business really understand the company strategy in a very clear, palpable way? And the operating model of the company by which we do things, is that really understood? And are the challenges associated to that, that operating model, is that really understood by the rest of the company? If you get yourself in a position where all of that is really understood by the company, they're in a position where they can do the what and the how, but they really understand the why, and they can really put some feeling into to what's going on and, be, and care about the, the outcome. And I'm just curious what, what your take is. I agree. And... It also leads to another question for me, which is, we've had a lot of debates over the years on should OKRs be for everyone? Should they just be for some teams that are actually driving that key metric? And often it comes down to, well, if not everyone has an OKR, will they feel aligned to the business? And will they care? And I think you're insight around understanding the why is critical to that. And if you can really trust that you share and explain the why, which is also like the why of the strategy, then if the finance team or the people team, or I mean, pretty much it ends up being the back offices that doesn't it, that aren't deeply aligned. If they understand that the number one metric for the quarter is to increase, uh, just for argument's sake, the cost per seat by 10%, ideally it's not by 10%, but by an actual number, 50 pounds, then they understand and know how to prioritize at anything that comes across their desk rather than they have to see how they themselves contribute to that 50 pound price. And what's really interesting is I struggle to see leadership teams able to feel comfortable embracing that. There seems to be a tendency to want that everybody has something measurable that ladders up to the company's OKRs. And I think that often fails. Whereas to your point, 
if the OKRs are part of the why and the strategy, it's okay if everybody's individual work does not, an OKR does not ladder up to the company's one, you can still know and understand why your job is important, even if your job is not directly contributing to the most important thing you need to achieve that quarter, that year, because it's around helping other people make decisions and have context in their jobs to know that they are obliquely, is that the right word? Tangentially affecting the strategy, even if they don't need OKRs themselves in order to do a good job. And I think that comes down to whether you're measuring performance via OKR or you're aligning teams via OKR. And that gets quite muddled as well in the rollout. Yeah. And I think that's a big distinction. I think this is something we should ask Jenny, because I feel like there's a very clear difference between performance and alignment. And they're very different things. And I think conflating the two or confusing the two somehow is, I think, a mistake in my view. But I think this is maybe something we can pose to to Jenny. And the other piece of the, the way of working that I found extraordinarily useful was when you think about cross-functional squads that have got together. I think uh, the simple act of doing a retro within those cross-functional squads is so incredibly powerful because when you think about the siloed functions of an organization that you typically have, on a micro level, if you have this squad working together, talking about how they actually work together in terms of you know what's working for their particular style of working and what's not working, that little microcosm, there's so many learnings that happen there that can help inform the broader context of the functional silos and getting those things solved. It's just a, a tremendous enabler, I think, as an operations professional to tap into that rich vein of, of, of retros that are happening to, to think through how to do that in a, in a broader context. Absolutely. Once you get retros as part of your culture, <laughs> I think that's one where it's really common in engineering and product teams, obviously. Moving it into the commercial teams has been one of those things I've definitely tried to build in and don't feel as though I've succeeded beyond like quarter one or quarter two. As soon as I forget to pay attention to it, everybody else forgets as well. Topic for another another one, but I'd love to talk about like how you build in a culture of retros throughout the entire business from product and engineering. One of the things that this pulls back into is, does everybody need an OKR? Should it be business as usual? Should it be something that you're strategically trying to change? Like At least at peak, we kind of like went back and forth between, no, it's the absolute most important things we have to achieve well, everything we achieve in BAU is the most important thing we have to achieve. And having the bravery isn't necessarily the right word, but having the ability to craft OKRs that are not obviously functionally owned, but truly cross-functional is an interesting point and one I'd like to maybe discuss further with Jenny in the room. Yeah, yeah. It's a great point because the functional group has business as usual that they have to do. There's not really a question of that part of it. So how you how you do that and balance that versus what an OKR squad is and the contribution to that cross-functionally, there is tension there. And I guess the question is how do you best resolve that or what's the best way to think about that? Yeah. And then there's also like at least you know, so often the quarterly sales target is one of your OKRs or the annual sales target is one of your OKRs, but that's also strongly business as usual. And so like to my example previously, if it's around, we actually want the seat price to be 50 pounds per month, should sales just run their targets separate and outside of the OKR process? And really the one OKR for the quarter is 50 pounds per seat. 
And then you might have a cross-functional team worrying about it. You might have, you know, your sales enablement team helping the sales team out. You might have product marketing really listening to why are we not being able to raise that price, but the sales team itself are not actually day-to-day contributing to the OKR. They're working on making sure that we hit target. This is a great uh, talking point, I think, with Jenny. I've always had a view on this, which is generally speaking... I very much try to separate BAU activity from OKRs conceptually, which is all the BAU stuff and all the health metrics in the business need to happen. Those don't stop, basically. The business doesn't stop for OKRs. All we're saying is that in this particular quarter or whatever the time frame is, we're saying that the single most important thing in the company right now, challenge-wise, to get solved is A, B, and C. And if we're going to move levers in the business trajectory-wise, this is the lever to pull. Let's make that happen. So I think the the idea here is you know, for you as the sales organization, all the BAU that sits there for the quarter in terms of your existing forecast and numbers and quotas that need to be had, all that needs to get done. What I'm saying is that separate of that, we have a lever to be pulled. And here's the lever and here's where sales is contributing to, to pull that lever. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense in theory. What I also find is when you're then communicating back to teams, there's just like death by metrics because you have all of your BAU metrics, then you have your OKR metrics, and then you end up probably having too many of them. And I think it gets to like the original point of you've, it's where you lose the why in all of the how and the what. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And this is where the separation of BAU is actually pretty important because I don't want to hear about BAU metrics and conflate them with OKRs at all. But I think this is all a wonderful setup. Uh, you can see between Bethany and myself, we have different uh, uh, different takes on life and different views on these things, as all folks do when it comes to OKRs. And this is a wonderful prep, I think, for for Jenny. So why don't we why don't we uh, transition over to to Jenny and have a bit of a chat. I'm pleased to welcome our guest, Jenny Harold. Jenny is a guru when it comes to OKRs. So Jenny, apologies in advance, but I've kind of humanized your bio a bit. Again, your marketing team might not be thrilled with me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Jenny Harold is Vice President of Product Evangelism at Quantiv. And in that role, she champions their vision and helps customers achieve better business outcomes using the world's most powerful would love to understand a bit more about that, a strategy execution platform based on the OKR methodology. And then as I'm sure many of you know, Jenny also hosts the Dreams with Deadlines podcast, where she interviews business leaders on aligning teams and organizations around a common purpose, the ups and downs of goal management and strategy execution. I just would love to know so much about all of that, Jenny. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be here and join you both. As you know from the chat that Brandon and I had to begin with, I'm a bit of an OKR skeptic, but maybe it's just because I've never seen it work well, never managed to do it well myself. So I'm hoping I can learn a lot, but also have never really met anybody who's done it well. So what are we doing wrong and how can we do it better? That in itself is like the full time for the podcast, to be honest. And that's probably what we'll dig into. Perhaps we'll start with the mindset behind this. I can tell a really quick story. I was in a room full of like C-level executives at a conference uh, and they were very interested to hear the same thing. Like, what are we doing wrong or why should anyone do this? Actually, a CIO raised his hand and he said, Jenny, cool, why should we do this? And I looked at them and I said, how did you all get here? How did you get in this room? It's because that you had a goal that was meaningful for the business. You aligned and rallied people around that goal you achieved it, 
and you gained outsized impact, most likely based on the resources, the people, the plan that you had in place, correct? And all of them nodded head yes. And I said, imagine then that you give a framework on how to think more strategically to your whole organization and you give them the breathing room to do the very things that you know work and you teach them and you coach them to do that. What would happen? And everyone kind of stunned, silent, stared at me. And I said, that's what you're doing. And I think the reason why people get OKRs wrong is because they think that it's a performance management tool. I would argue it's bigger than that. I mean, I'm an evangelist, so I'm going to say that. We are helping raise up levels of the organization to think strategically and not just operationally. And the ability for more and more people to do that and for leaders and managers to be more like coaches, the more we're going to be able to adapt to the challenges of this world. If I think about the seminal book, Measure What Matters is usually where people start. They read this book as if it's a Bible. And I think, Bethany, you had mentioned, you know, is it the letter of the law or not? My response to this is it's very much like Christianity if you want to go that route. You can go Catholic and go really hard, or you can kind of go evangelical if you want. And that, if you listen to my podcast, you've heard Felipe Castro, who is one of, you know, kind of the the godfathers, the grandfathers to, you know, evangelizing this movement. And he says that's the beauty of this, this whole framework. It's crowdsourced. There is no right answer. But there are framings to think about how it is that you can approach it to best suit your needs for your business. And so I think it is amazingly powerful when used correctly and honestly, very damaging if used incorrectly. And people need to take it with you know a great deal of care when they're thinking about adopting this because it really is instituting a different way of working and a different way of thinking about how to do work and why we're doing it. But that's what makes it powerful, equally powerful. So I'll start with that. Like what we're doing wrong is we're thinking about it in a weird way and we need to change our mindset about what it is that we're doing. That's a wonderful uh, opening salvo statement, I think, uh, Jenny. And I think in contrast to, to Bethany, I'm really an optimist around OKRs. In my view, at least, the real purpose of OKRs, to your point, really is around alignment and focus and really not around performance or performance management. How you would conflate those two things is incomprehensible to me. And even as I'm saying that, even with a focus on alignment and the focus of the company, uh, there's still a pervading sense of disappointment. And I guess my question back to you is, with alignment as the focus, the you know which is the right thing to do, and a bit of that mindset that you talked about in place, we're still seeing a lot of disappointment in terms of how OKRs are deployed. And I'm just wondering when you hear me say that, does anything spring to mind based on your experiences and your conversations you've had over the last couple of years where on a practical basis, companies are getting it wrong. They're, they're doing this wrong and they're doing that wrong and they're doing that wrong. Do you have a bit of a sense of what, what that is? Absolutely. So, so my podcast has been around now for over three years. I've spoken to, I think, 80 leaders now about strategy execution and OKRs. And most recently, my Dreams of Deadlines podcast has evolved into a community. We are now the Dreams of Deadlines community. And several of our founding members contribute to what we call the failure prevention guide. Like, what did we see wrong happen out there in the adoption of OKRs? The first was jumping immediately into, we're doing this. 
inevitably, there's somebody who probably read the book. They come into the organization to their, maybe, you know, their L1, L2, and they say, I read this book. It's amazing. Everyone's doing it. Let's do it. And then the team has to scramble to actually get it done, whatever that means. But there's no actual justification for why any of this matters to this organization. And if they do get to it, they have a litany of reasons. In the same way when we say, if everything's a priority, nothing's a priority. Well, if everything's a good reason to do this, then none of that's a good reason. And it can't be because Google is doing it. And it can't be because we need alignment and focus that's too vague. Like leadership needs to come in there and say, we're being challenged in the market because of blah. We could die. And unless we focus on this and figure out a way and we think OKRs are the best tool to get us to focus on this so that we can survive, good reason. People can stand behind that. I think the challenge, number one, is a poor articulation of the why. It needs to be about we need to strengthen communication because we're, we've become too siloed as we've scaled because over-specialization. To your point, it's because we need greater alignment because we have just acquired as part of our growth strategy multiple businesses in the span of three years. And M&A activity is great for growth. How are we aligning to our overall customer now? It could be we need greater amounts of accountability because we're failing to keep our customer promises. What the heck's going on? Give them a reason. And it should be a good one. Number two, this is on leadership. You don't have a strategy. Or at least people don't understand it. They don't have access to it. It hasn't been communicated effectively. Those are the foundations of the business. The mechanics of the business, and I think, Brandon, you mentioned this in a preamble, they need to be understood by everyone so that everyone can understand their role and how they're going to contribute to that idea. And several of our founding members, Antonio specifically, is like, the zero strategy is what often happens with OKRs. It's like, do OKRs. And it's like, great, we have goals, but for what purpose and to support what? So there are artifacts that must be in place before you even engaged in it, A. And B, it needs to, again, be communicated. And that's a leadership challenge. People often confuse strategy and planning. I remember one time I was in a meeting with someone I was, <laughs> and they were telling me, Jenny, here's the strategy. And they pulled out a Gantt chart and a spreadsheet with cost centers. And I'm like, mm, yeah, this is not a strategy. You have elements of a strategic plan to execute said strategy, but where's the actual strategy document? So conflating that, like what, what is your winning aspiration? Where are you playing? How are you going to go win? All that stuff that Roger Martin talks about in his strategy choice cascade. You don't even have to use that. Use something. Pitfall three, I would say, this big bang approach to OKR rollouts. Everyone gets an OKR like Oprah. And I'm like, no, don't do that. I actually interviewed uh, the VP of product at Netflix, Gibson Biddle. And I shouldn't have been surprised, but I, f I was surprised. He was like, 90% of my time is spent with 10% of that work. I was like, what? He's like, yeah, I work with the highest performing team. And when I think about that in terms of leadership now, when someone asks me, where do we start? I'm like, you can start with your leadership team. They had aligned around OKRs L1, L1 and 2, if you want, or 
you find the most highly performing part of your organization and you have them do it. And they look at me like, why? And it's because they're going to get attention. They're going to get recognition. They're going to get funding for the things that they think are awesome. And the other departments, the other teams are going to look at that and be like, why are we not doing that? And then there's like this organic thing that happens with OKRs rather than a mandate someone came down from a mountain with two tablets and say, these are the 10 commandments, thou shalt. And I think a lot of times, and it seems to be true, a lot of organizations mandate this rather than provide all the foundational work that's necessary to even start and then slice it into the wrong parts of the organization thinking everyone's going to benefit, which they will. But I would argue, and we have this coming out very soon, and I'm so happy to talk about it on the show. We have the state of the OKRs report, the largest report of its kind. It's coming out very soon, launches next week, in fact, where the ones that are overachievers and really killing it in strategy execution, getting outsized gains compared to their peer group, we have empirical evidence, are taking an approach that is sensible. So I guess where my cynical hat comes in is if you have a good strategy, And everybody understands the why. What is the incremental gain for the OKRs? Like I have definitely seen really clear strategy. Everybody understands what's most important and why. And then a lot of this, the normal business KPIs are enough. Or you have a short and sharp project that you understand the need for the outcome, but it doesn't need to be like religiously structured as an OKR and need to figure out what that one key metric is to know that you've achieved it. Because oftentimes you know what it is that needs to be achieved. And oftentimes your project or like, I guess I'm using project because sometimes you can do something short and sharp that massively moves the business forward with the team that's needed to move it forward. Why do you need to institute OKRs in order to do that versus a good strategy and a series of plans to get there? Ah, that's a good question. Again, I hearken back to the reason why we do this is to your point, Beth, we're trying to change the business. Now, here's the truth. And this is what I've talked to a lot of C-levels about. At any given point, you have to both run the business and change the business. That is a foundational truth. And so OKRs are a means to change the business, whereas the KPIs are meant to run it, to make sure we're okay. I I remember hearing in your preamble, well, couldn't there be then like this onslaught of metrics and it just feels overwhelming and we're buried in it? That's not the fault of the methodology. That's the fault of its application. We should be managing by exception. That's why we have technology to surface the things that are going haywire or, you know, awry. And if a KPI is off, what do you do? You apply people to get back to health. Can you use OKRs in order to focus people and align them behind that idea? For sure. And a lot of people actually use them as complements to one another where it is still changing the business. We're changing it to get back to health. And so you can do that. I remember being in these mind-numbing meetings where people will go through 250, I kid you not, KPIs like every quarter and then OKRs. And I'm like, what is even happening here? Why is this happening? And, you know, I talked to my senior leadership team, like, why are we not managing by exception in both directions? What's going exceptionally well so that we can reward and recognize those people appropriately or what's going completely off the rails so that we don't die 
or bleed, you know, things that we know are important. OKRs are a complement to KPIs. People need to understand the difference. I think when people conflate them is when people get into trouble. They belong together, but they're not meant to replace one another because we know that we must run and grow the business at the same time. We call this the modern operating model. It's not necessarily modern, but this idea of it is modern because now we have OKRs that are gaining prominence in our space. Yeah, and I think, Jenny, you've hit on a, a key point here, which is companies lose the plot, in my view, when they do this conflation of sales targets and what I consider to be business as usual, which is they have a forecast, they have a quota, they have numbers that they need to hit, and those numbers get transposed directly over to OKRs, and the company and the organization and leadership then gets confused as to what they're really talking about. Is it, in fact, business as usual, KPIs, or is it, in fact, change related to OKRs? And I guess my question back to you is, how do we cut through that? How do we ensure that that conflation doesn't happen, uh, either in terms of the practicalities around the process or perhaps around the mindset? Right. So one of our earliest customers at Quantiv was Eric. He's the CTO of TomTom. And I was like, "Why why are you doing this, Eric? And he was like, because I'm effectively wanting everyone in this organization to be like an economist. Every team needs to understand what the function of success looks like for their team and have explanatory variables or at least hypotheses of what the explanatory variables can be and are watching those numbers and making them move and also forecasting whether or not they believe they'll be successful based on the investments that they're making in their time and their effort. I was like, okay, very cool. And then I talked to Lucas Gauzy. He's on my podcast as well. We've co-delivered a few webinars before. And he was like, okay, so at my company, we took this approach of using proxy metrics to drive the behavior change that we wanted for our customer and for our employees. I was like, tell me how. So they have the sales organization. They have this part, uh, product organization. They wanted them to work together. And what they wanted them to do was to figure out a way for there to be more installations from their customers for the product they were building. I was like, okay, how did you fix this? He's like, well, we we crafted OKRs with them. And the OKR, one of the key results was about the number of installations that the sales team could drive. What the sales team found out is they couldn't drive them because the product wasn't all that great, at least at that time. And so here we have an example of a proxy to getting to sales quotas, but the way to get there or the explanatory variable was through installations. So now the sales team is going back to the product team and saying, the product experience is awful. I can't get people to install this to save my life. Here is the feedback we're getting. How are you going to respond to what they need? And now we have essentially like a tiger team working together to get the the business where it needs to be. We need to get more sales and get more installations. The sales team is heavily invested in OKRs because this ties to their number, but I have a very interesting way to get there. And the product team is married to this because now they have a direct line of communication to the customer via their sales team and through various interactions that they had, which eventually they started doing interviews directly with their customers. It just, it created an environment where people were motivated, incentivized toward the right things. And I think that's the question we need to ask ourselves, Brandon, to answer your question. Yeah, there's conflation, but the way that we can think about it again is what is the outcome that we're trying to achieve? What are the lagging measures that we know we need to hit 
And then what are some proxies or ways for us to measure that we can control? And that's the challenge here with OKRs is developing key results that are more closely aligned to things that we know that we can control that will ladder up or cumulatively arrive at that impact or that outcome. And then what happens to the team? The team now has this mission, like we're here to do blah. And here's the thing about alignment. You can have an objective as a team, create an alignment statement. The overall company goal is this. To support this, this team aims to do that. And here we have a simple way for a team to rally around an idea. In this case, we want people's behavior to be changed in the form of installing this thing that we created. Great. And then all the work that's going to happen as a result of that. And that's what we talk about. And I think, Beth, you had mentioned, you know, how do we get this retrospective culture in? That's built into the process. That's part of the cadence of OKRs is the reflect and reset. Ideally, that should be happening in smaller increments, like every week or every other week when you have a normal stand up with your team to say, oh, right, like, here's our goal. Here are where we're at with our key results. What are we committing to do as a team to move the needle? What is working? What's not? What's blocked? So that we can ask for help or additional funding or additional training or additional resources. And then it's the response of management and leadership to be able to supply basically the necessary ingredients to help that team be successful. Like that's how it's supposed to work. But again, like I'm talking about, it's not about the OKRs. There's a bunch of other things that surround it from leadership, from the way that you operate a business, the way that you fund things, the way you think about things, the way that you behave. You're changing how people operate so that they are enabled to do what they believe is the right thing to do on behalf of the customer and the business at the same time. How much more empowering can you be? So I think that this is actually like the crux of my confusion with OKRs because everything that you're talking about, I completely agree with. And I think is views of a well-functioning organization. And I have seen organizations that are functioning well that are not using OKRs. And I have seen organizations not functioning well that are using OKRs. And I think there ends up being this red herring around the OKRs rather, and it's like basically just a framework to help you do the right stuff, but it doesn't have to be that framework. I would suggest that it is the best evolution of the things that we have known for a long time to do. Like, I think you all were discussing this idea of cross-functional teams. Those were tiger teams. Teams that were brought together to solve a specific problem and to attack it for a set amount of time that were given a remit to do so and goals to achieve in the time frame. We have created a bunch of tiger teams effectively using an OKR frame where measures are a smart thing to do and creating a cadence of communication and a common language around success. All of these things, to your point, Beth, make sense. They make sense for good organizations. We just now have a way to commonly in the industry, across businesses, industries, to talk about this and to frame it in such a way that if you don't know where to start or you have pieces of it, but you want to push further, look at this. If you do this well, 
it is likely that you are going to see some gains. But to your point also, there is a cultural element that people aren't talking about. And a leadership element, like it's about good leadership, right? It's about good leadership. It's about having a culture that can support this kind of way of working. Because you're trying to change the business and you're hypothesis, hypothesizing how it's going to work. And it may not. Can you stomach that as a business? What do you do when the team had all of the ingredients, the elements, and it still didn't work? What will you do with that information? Organizations that do this well will take that as learning and end up being true learning organizations and then feed that learning into fu- you know, future cycles and continuously try to adapt, figure out new ways to approach you know, the opportunity or the problem set. It's just good business. So speaking of uh, good business, uh, this core question of should you involve the entire organization as part of an OKR process, does that make sense? And in particular, when I ask that question, I'm thinking about the back office, which is the people function, uh, the finance function, the talent function, as an example. And I recall a conversation I had with a financial accountant at my last company. After we had run the OKR process, she had come up to me one-on-one and asked me, what's, what's my role? How am I contributing to what we've spoken about? And frankly, I think I gave her a very unsatisfactory answer. What should have been the answer to her? And should we be involving finance, talent, and people in the process? I'm going to kind of do a callback to a previous part of this conversation where we discussed changing and growing the business. What's fascinating now, I think, is we went through this worldwide pandemic And we had to change how we ran our businesses. A lot of businesses may have been accustomed to being co-located together. And then they were kind of thrusted into an environment of digitization, right? For many of the organizations that we get to work with at Quantive, that transformation is still ongoing. That transformation may include back office functions. And so you can create OKRs with this premise of how are we transforming how we operate as financiers, as people ops persons, as what have you. My father-in-law is so awesome. I remember talking to him once about something and I was kind of at a loss at what to do. And he's like, Jenny, you can always sweep the floor. This idea that you can clean up after mess, that is something back office can do. There's probably a lot of legacy things that are kind of weighing them down that needs to be cleaned up, you know, they can focus efforts in a line around, you know what, we're going to Marie Kondo our processes. Did that improve the business? Likely. And so really it's thinking about your work in a different way. How can we adopt these new technologies so that we can work more effectively and efficiently together? How can we Marie Kondo our way out of this? Because maybe we've, uh, over time, like some of our processes are a bit sloppy and they can be cleaned up. Great. And senior leadership can be thinking about that as they're looking at the landscape of work to say, you know what, here's where we can see improvements. And if we do this, we believe that this is the kind of impact we can make and have that negotiation with those teams to say, oh, well, what is your response to this? Do you agree? Is there something else that you think and invite them into the conversation of where do you think change can happen for the greatest benefit of our organization? And that that in itself is empowering to ask someone, what do you think? we should do to be better and just have them try it. See what happens. 
And, and so that would be my response to that individual. It's like, can you use OKRs to better yourself and you're part of the organization? Yes. When I was a long time ago, a deputy comptroller, I realized that because I was responsible for military pay and travel pay reimbursement, we were paying people a little later than they probably would have wanted to, and sometimes incorrectly. My OKR, which I didn't know I was creating at the time, so this was my first one. I was 21, 22 years old. My objective was we take care of our people. They are going to take care of the mission. I knew if we took care of our airmen's pay, it was more likely that they would be focused on the mission for United States Air Force. That seemed to make sense to me. So that's what I sold to my org. We take care of our people. They'll take care of the mission. One of my key results is reducing the reimbursement window from five, seven days down to like two to three days. Can we reduce this enough so that we can get them paid as quickly as possible? And can we change it so that they don't have to go back and forth with us because people do not like it when they, you mess with their money? And so we improved our accuracy rating on, and we measured that. These are things we could measure and we knew were important. And by the end of my tenure, we had indeed reduced that and then improved our accuracy rating and reimbursements and timely pay. Everyone won. My organization got recognized for this. Like it was Herculean for them. They're like, there's a lot of processes involved to drive that kind of outcome for like an old institution, like a department of defense group. Like that's this old school stuff. I had 42 volumes of regulations I had to read through to figure out <laughs> where we can find gains and work with my team to figure out how can we improve these, all of these little things that add up to this bigger thing. And it worked eventually. And, and that's a back office function thing. And that's why I believe it can work because I've done it myself. So I think there's a slight different, like, amazing answer. And it really explains how back offices can make a difference. Um, there's also a slightly different, and this comes down to like how biblical you are in your rollout of OKRs of like, there is the company OKR and the cascading that everybody needs to understand how they contribute to that one thing that has to get done. In your example right there, it's a loose connection. It's a loose coupling. It's like generally if airmen know that they can get their money, they can do their job better and therefore they'll achieve the Air Force's OKR, which I assume probably, I don't know how clear that was. Air superiority is one of the objectives of the Air Force, air superiority, that we are a superior, a superior Air Force. And you're looking at happier people who don't have to worry about their money can then provide better air superiority. But it's a very loose coupling. And so are you looking at those loose couplings where the OKRs for the finance team are not directly tied, like literally tied to the overall one, but you know that if you're more efficient and therefore free up cash or have better operating cash, that in effect is always going to support the business rather than are we affecting that one metric that everybody else is working on directly. So you're talking about cascading. I hate cascading. That is so cool. I, so this is like, this is a spirit versus letter. So brilliant. It's ridiculous. But what happens is... The amount of obscurity that happens at if we were to look at, let's say, an OKR tree, because that's usually how it's depicted in software like ours. If you cascade, can you imagine what happens at level six or seven and how obscure their key results will look compared to what happened at the root? 
it gets really weird. And one of the foundations, if you've read through, and I'm sure you have, like goal setting theory, is one of the foundational things you need for goal setting to work is commitment. And so if someone's committing to a cascade that they don't believe in or is highly obscure (laughs) or unreasonable because the targets are unreachable as far as the team is concerned, it's not even about like, are we nervous about and do we have a 50-50 shots? Like that's impossible is how they feel. It's dumb. Don't do it. And I think that's where people get lost as they get married to the practice of OKRs. And I think Bethany, maybe that's, but that's where we lean together is like the spirit of OKRs is as enabler and not as a distraction or, you know, something that reduces motivation. And it can often feel that way when we, we create this governance and these rule sets where the program crumbles under its own weight to use Brett Knowles. He's one of our founders on the Dreams of Deadlines community. It's like one of the failure points is you create a process and a program that crumbles on its own weight. And I was like, oh my gosh, yes. And so that's why I kind of like, if you're starting new, net new to this, maybe you want to check out Christina Wadke's approach. One OKR, just one. And I did this exercise actually with a safety lead for construction business. And he was like, Jenny, there's so many irons in the fire. I don't know what to do. And I, I was like, I'm going to talk to you and it's going to feel a little hard right now. And he's like, okay, I'm ready, Jenny. And I was like, if you got fired today, what would your replacement do? What is the first thing they do? And he told me, he's like, they would do this. And I was like, well, that's your objective. That's your goal. How do you measure success against that thing that, that you're trying to achieve? And he's like, oh, well, that's easy. It's this, this, and this. Great. Why is it that, that, and that? Why not other things? And he said, well, this, because if I can't do this, I can't bid for new work. If I can't bid for new construction projects, none of these guys get a job. We don't get raises. I'm like, that sounds important to me. What's the second thing? The beauty of OKRs, again, is it in its simplicity. But it's amazing to me how many OKR rollouts stray away from the idea of its simplicity. The objective is what we're trying to achieve, and our key results are a definition that we agree to of what success looks like. If you want to add on to it, what is an alignment statement to top-level objectives, if that's something you struggle with? If you want to go even further into method, what are the key initiatives or tasks we're going to do to, to drive those key results forward? And then how do we have negotiations between teams? Should there be shared things that need to happen, like dependencies? Maybe we should have conversations about how we have shared key results. That's hard work, but it's good work if you can get it right. There's simplicity here. These are simple concepts. Apparently, people want to be like, but I want a hard cascade because I want to see it. And I'm like, everyone in the org has a goal that hardly anyone cares about, and therefore no one's going to reach because what's the consequence if they don't? I still think a lot of people get it so wrong. I don't know how many times I see on LinkedIn or Twitter people bashing the methodology, just like they bash safe. And I'm like, they're tools. But I feel like people tend to to not think about it in the right framing and then kind of get into trouble with it. And it's a shame because it can be so powerful. And we've seen that actually emerge in the research you know, study that we uh, just commissioned. I looked at it, I was like, no surprise here. 
businesses that are able to crush it with their OKRs and feel confident and comfortable with their programs, they're killing it. And so many strategic measures, it's unbelievable. I was like, yeah, makes sense. Yep. They're just good organizations. And that's where I kind of wonder, like, how much is it the OKRs and how much is it actually the fact that they do have good leadership, good strategy, and they happen to use OKRs to underpin that? I mean, there is no imagination that this is this is an evolution of, of multiple frameworks prior, you know, management by objectives. You all mentioned SMART goals. Now we had KPIs emerge as a thing that people started to go do. And now we have OKRs. All of this is wonderful. But the foundations, I think, Beth, are very much how you think about it, which is it's only as good as the environment in which you place it in. Environment matters a lot when you're doing work like this. If you give an OKR to a team that is on the brink of burnout, what do you think will happen? How does this work with the Lencioni, the five dysfunctions and like kind of everything that Lencioni has created? Because it's another framework. It's common sense. <laughs> I don't I feel bad for saying so, but it's it's common sense. Like if you don't have good team dynamics, OKRs are probably not going to serve you well because you just aren't able to work well together foundationally. Like it's not okay. There's like bad things are happening with the team. However, and this is interesting, you can use OKRs to better that situation. Again, because it's about changing something. And do I believe all OKRs must be cascaded or aligned? They don't have to be. Actually, several of our customers have goals and objectives that are in our system that aren't aligned, but they know are equally as important for the business to succeed and to change. But it's not connected, and that's okay. And so we had one founding member for one of the big telecos, and he realized that he needed to create a no-nonsense, no-bullshit culture. Like that was his objective because the team was not functioning well. And he created key results. They had weekly feedback on this. And eventually they worked through a lot of their interpersonal relationship problems in service of the goal and worked out some of their differences because it was a focus for them. It wasn't about alignment. It was about focus. That team ended up fixing that problem to the extent where the entire organization after, I mean, we're talking a a teleco, they they were like, what is this team doing? Why are they so healthy and able to produce this kind of reaction from our customers? What is it that they're doing differently? To your point, Beth, it happened to be that OKRs were the means for them to align and focus around. Did they need them? I mean, who's to say? It is the best method that we found to date to manage people. That's what it's for. That's cool. And they succeeded. We're rapidly running out of time, but I have a question that I'm really interested in, which is everybody's read Measure What Matters. Loads of us have read the, what's the other one called? Radical Focus, probably. Radical Focus. Radical Focus. We've all read them. We're still doing it wrong. We're not rolling it out. It's clearly, those are not the books to go to, to make it work. If you want to roll it out, if you want to learn how to be a better leader, if you want to be simple, because I actually think having spoken with you today, Jenny, you've opened my eyes to the fact that it's a framework to help you be a better leader. Where do you start? Start small. That's the first. Get in a room with the senior leadership team. You all need to get aligned. 
go in a room with a senior leadership team and ask them, what are the priorities for the business? And if all of them give you a different answer, that's where you start. Start from the top. If you get that, you start small again with the high, the highest performing team in the organization or some of the greatest, like really they're killing it. And everyone's like, but how can they do even better? How can we frame this in a way so that we can continue to scale success with the other parts of the business? You start with the ones that are already operating well and ask them to help change the business because they're running the business perfectly fine. What you're looking for with OKRs is changing the business. Highly recommend. I cannot explain enough. Get a coach. Get somebody in that has seen countless implementations. Have them work with you to figure out, you know, what are the parameters upon which you're going to run your program? Because every program will have its nuances. There is no one size fits all solution that actually came out of the research that we will release in a report. There is no one size fits all solution, which is why we highly recommend a coach, which is what high performing and overachieving organizations that do well with OKRs actually do. They have hired help. Once you get that going, get a few cycles in. Start bringing these conversations into your town halls your all-hands conversations, for the teams that are working with them, have team conversations with leadership, make sure that they have the funding. That's the other thing. Good Lord. Here's the thing. People are like, oh, but we're going to do OKRs. I'm like, well, how much time does the team actually have to spend on this? They're like, oh, their time's already accounted for. And I'm like, oh, so you're asking them to work overtime, basically, to try to achieve something that you haven't properly supported. Like, uh, and I'm like, yeah, that's your problem. The degree in which the team has ownership of their own time is highly correlated with their ability to actually deliver on their OKRs. Give them more time, they're going to be more likely. That's a really important point. It's, we haven't pulled that one out yet. I just want to repeat that. Of It's not 100% business as usual and then another 30% making change. It's making change it should be what, 70, 80% maybe, let's say, it depends on the area, and the rest is keeping the lights on. If that's where you want to make transformations in your business, you have to make the space for it. Exactly. And you have to fund it. If they need education and training, give them education and training. If they need additional funds, tools, give them additional funds and tools. And this is where then this old idea, and I know we're talking about operators here, like I have never really seen an organization do zero-based budgeting, but this is moving in that trajectory, if you think about it, is that you have kind of a cash reserve or a resource reserve that you are aligning with your OKR program and adding flexibility in where the allocation of funding can go. And that also emanated in our research or it surfaced. Organizations that do this well support it with the operations portion of the business in funding and resources and time. All of this, again, makes complete sense when we talk about it out loud, but I don't think a lot of people are talking about it out loud. Now, if I can recommend one book to read, read the OKR Field book by Ben Lamort, which Brandon had mentioned. It is for internal and external coaches to practically run an OKR program. He talks through how they should relate or potentially relate to performance management because that's an management practice that already exists. It talks about where do you start? 
How do you train? What are the 10 universal parameters for even running a program? It's all in there. And shameless plug for me, we talk about this monthly at Quantive. So if you want to hear from the man himself, where I co-host, we have the OKR office hour with Ben Lamort, where we talk about the subjects from his book and consider it like an office hours. You come into a university professor's office and you can ask additional questions. You have free access to him uh, via this webinar series. So hopefully you can join us every third Thursday of the month, more or less. Brilliant, Jenny. Thanks so much. Unfortunately, we've pretty much run out of time, but you've already plugged yourself once for one podcast. We've talked about so much today. If our listeners could only take one thing away, what would that one thing be? When you think about using OKRs, really be thinking about how you are running and changing the business at the same time. The application of OKRs are really about changing and transforming a business. You got to get that straight. Lovely. So thank you, Jenny, for joining us on the Operations Room, and thank you all for listening. Uh, If you enjoy what you hear, please subscribe or leave us a comment, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.